Whenever a friend succeeds, a little part of me dies, runs a well-known quip. Now go on, be honest. I bet you can relate to that just a little bit, can't you? I know that I certainly can. In fact, to be honest, I think it's normal. Indeed, it makes sense. A stranger's success is a statistical abstraction. Yet the triumphs of those closer by are often more pertinent and may even represent a potential threat. I just started in employment. I was working with a small team at British Telecom in Oxford, England. And actually, it was pretty smooth running until Richard... Richard... My new co-worker schmoozed onto the scene. Easy, charming and Hollywood handsome, Richard was a model of stellar engineering. In fact, probably optimised to aggravate insecure young men. And who boy was I insecure. I had to manage his onboarding and it felt like a punishment. The truth, and I got to admit it, was that the only onboarding in my mind involved a firm nudge onto a wooden board leading out of the fifth floor office window. And did I really want to help this person be any more awesome? Nope. I'd worked hard to establish a modest morsel of acknowledgement and some newbie hotshot blazing through life and straight across my lane in this barrel full of honey. Death, stare, activate. The truth is, Richard was a decent person and of course the suffering was all mine. He was holding up a mirror to my own lack of self-esteem. And as much as I resented it, this was my baggage to own. So have you ever felt jealous of a colleague? Many, even most of us, have been there in some form. I mean, envy is universal and each of us is vulnerable. Imagine you've met a friend for lunch. They're in buoyant mood and after a nudge, they breezily share their glowing performance review. Plus, a forthcoming promise of a promotion. And before you can even proffer a fake grin, there's a call from their partner. It sounds like confirmation for next weekend's celebratory getaway. Things, it seems, are going well. And while part of you wants to share in their joy, it's somehow going down, like a cup of cold sick. Lunch ruined, you swallow the turd and fake a smile. But inside, you burn up and count down to get away. You just need a moment for a damage assessment. Envy is destructive. It harms relationships, shrinks opportunities, disrupts collaboration and hurts performance. Envy and jealousy are also challenging to manage because it's hard to admit harbouring such socially unacceptable emotions. Our discomfort causes us to conceal and deny our responses, which makes things worse. Whereas other people's success may provoke all sorts of contradictory feelings, an explanation is simple. We wrap a lot of our identity, value and fulfilment in our careers. So for instance, our sense of status and competence and autonomy and belonging are bound to our work. And this investment means that our jobs are ripe with the potential for jealousy. It's a greedy joy parasite. Envy leads to negative and draining behaviour. Here are some signs of envy and jealousy at work, including, for instance, focusing on flaws and failures. You might find it tough to share in successes and achievements, Instead, you prefer to downplay the positives and dial up the shortcomings on other people's wins. There's increased conflict. You may formulate work disagreements as a vessel for personal grievances. It feels a bit sneaky and insincere, yet you'll take it. At least it's a bit of covert war. It lets you discharge some frustration. It's liberating at the moment. Ultimately, it's empty. It's not who you really want to be. There's avoidance and isolation. 
On the one hand, you might obsess over your interactions with a rival, and on the other, you nurse a desire to avoid exposure to that person and the feelings they evoke within you. In a sense, you become consumed with steering clear of yourself. Or where can you turn then? We also have negative, non-verbal cues. So you exhibit closed body language and dismissive expressions towards the subject of jealousy, tutting and eye-rolling gestures, probably lifted straight from the pages of the schoolyard playbook. It's kind of the physical embodiment of inner resistance, an external reflection of the internal attitude. Together, this all represents a joyless and lacklustre day at the office, and one in which you might become so fixated on someone else that you lose sight of your own performance. So, if you find the green-eyed jealousy monster rearing its head, we need to recover some safe territory for you. Fast. Well, here's step one. Name your animals. Naming your animals is a helpful gateway technique for managing envy and jealousy. And the technique involves naming your potential triggers and sore points. Your animals are those sensitive little satellites floating around in your brain orbit, each waiting to get knocked out of position by other people's existence. It was actually introduced to me in therapist training. And you can imagine how envy and jealousy would get in the way of offering impartial and emotional support to someone. It can feel tough to invest in helping someone when you judge their problems to be trivial, and perhaps even more so if you begrudge the weight of your personal load. So, naming your animals cultivates an ability to step back into your observing self. Your observing self is the part of you that can apply neutral discretion to personal emotional triggers. First, you learn to recognise the triggers in others that activate your envy. In essence, you're calling out the emotional threats that impact your sense of safety. And by acknowledging any emotions that arise, your first job is to put them aside. For now. Or when emotions lock to your brain steering wheel, you compromise your intelligence. And that means one thing. Your decision-making radar will be unreliable. And you don't want that. Step two. Pinpoint the source using the five whys. With your emotions identified, it's time to diffuse and appraise what's going on. In other words, you want to start gaining some ownership on your emotions, these powerful behaviour drivers. And here, the five whys method is helpful for unwrapping your emotional experience. So to illustrate, the office newbie is hoovering up the team's attention and it's doing your head in. They're smart, sassy, witty and confident and probably pleasing on the eye just to top it off. Oh, and they've received a new snazzy title for doing less than you. What's not to drive you mad? Looking at this using the five whys, you might start with a statement. Well, I'm annoyed about the new person on the team. Why? Well, I want to be given more chances for development. Why? Well, I mostly like my job and I want to have a fair chance to advance here. Why? Well, I'm worried that I might get stuck and then have to face job hunting. Why? I hate applying for new jobs and putting myself out there. Posing the five whys can be revealing. Now, instead of one piece of information, you have two. These concern, one, the success of your colleague, and two, your own discomfort about moving on. And it's this deeper information that's helpful. Instead of getting sucked into the jealousy drama, you now have a chance to address the broader theme. In this case, how to confront unease, for instance, when exposed to judgment for having to put yourself forward in front of new people. And now you can begin to address your situation from a healthier perspective. 
So, so far, you've named your animals, identified your emotional triggers, and sought clarity on the source of the issue. Next, you want to consider the role of your imagination. Step three, the use and misuse of imagination. Well, your imagination is one of the most potent resources you own. It's also the one most susceptible to abuse, which causes all manner of upset. For a quick test, do you ever find yourself mind-reading, assuming that you know what other people are thinking? There she goes again, thinking her smile gets a project complete. (laughs) Fortune-telling, assuming a negative outcome without due consideration, was obvious I'll get overlooked again. Being modest gets you nowhere. Catastrophizing, assuming the worst-case scenario, magnifying the negative and minimising the positive. Well, that's it then. Stuck here forever. Might as well start saving for my funeral. Emotional reasoning. Assuming that if you feel something, it must be true. Oh, this brick in my stomach is always a bad sign. Self-focusing. Assuming personal significance behind random events. The computer keeps shutting down. It hates me. If these thinking distortions resonate, you likely make a lot of assumptions. Now look, that's okay. We're all prone to speculation. Only this way of thinking won't serve you well and you deserve better. I'll never forget a health and safety officer I once met. He took pride in the boring, but he shared one thing that's always stayed with me. I think he was telling me to take my plugs out of the sockets when I, when I go out for an afternoon uh, stroll or something. Well, he said this, he said, never assume it makes an ass out of you and me. I've never forgot that. And the takeaway for me from this really was this, to stay mindful of what you're doing and stay mindful of what you're telling yourself about a situation. Suspend rash judgments and then follow this next step. Step four, focus on your progress. Now comparing ourselves to others is normal. In fact, it may even motivate us to improve. Yet excess comparisons generate stress, especially if you're ungenerous with yourself. Well, self-comparisons are the original fake news and you don't know what someone else's journey has entailed or where it will lead. And you know what? Neither must it matter. Instead of external comparisons, aim to measure your current self with your previous self. Well, your consistent efforts have likely led you in a positive direction and it's this progress that matters most. Maintaining personal focus also helps to soften the edges of any resentment or envy towards others. Now it's you, better positioned and back in the driving seat and the focus is upon you. Step five, affirm your personal qualities. Now, Envy and jealousy keep you small-minded and you want to remain broad-minded. Well, one way to do this involves practicing self-affirmation. And by the way, we're not talking here about fluffy slogans like every day in every way I get better and better. Okay, they're well-meaning. But come on, let's be honest, they have minimal impact. Meaningful self-affirmation requires precision. It's the habit that involves acknowledging your strengths and achievements. So for instance, I'm a strong and effective communicator. And also retaining awareness to your daily held beliefs. Something like open your arms to change, but don't let go of your values. It's really about knowing who you are, isn't it? And it's also about appreciating the life resources that remain available to you. So for instance, your friends, your family and other circles of support. Self-affirmation is practicing gratitude for the life that you have and the person that you are. With regular practice, this will keep your eye on the bigger picture. 
It's your wide-angle perspective when the green-eyed monster rears its ugly head. You deserve more than getting bashed around and bullied by jealousy and envy. Remember as well that the duration of envy we might associate with someone else getting something often outlives that person's satisfaction. For instance, while you were jealous for a month, there's a strong likelihood that their enjoyment was far shorter-lived. Admittedly, George Clooney is probably still glad he's George Clooney, but there's always one. The green-eyed monster is worth neither your time nor emotional expenditure from this perspective. So give yourself a break and remember, angels fly because they take themselves lightly. Take care. See you soon.